Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Retro Time Podcast. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Derek. Hello, Derek. Hey, man. Derek, it's short weather, man. I've got shorts on. Ooh. Isn't this nice? Hey, what? Shorts! First time I've worn shorts in, I don't know, man, it's been months, and I'm so excited. I, I can't out, wait. I went out for a brisk run today, and uh, let me oh, tell yeah? you something, felt great. Out of, out of breath. You're winded? Oh, dude, I was terrible. <laughs> I was terrible. Getting ready for that b-ball, huh, baby? I, was, I actually... Uh, I played basketball the other night. I, I need to give a basketball update, Jeremy, because every the course, listeners, yeah, listeners care. Uh, I've been, yeah, I've been I've been trying to get out there, dude. Uh-huh. One drive, and I was just gassed. Gassed. What does that mean? Meaning, that meaning I was bad? like, I was like out of out of juice. Oh, you're out of gas. Out of gas. You're out of gas. I'm completely okay. out of gas. It kept passing <laughs> right. me the ball. I would shoot it, and my arm would just like be like a big thing of jello, oh, and the ball would just like oh, land geez, halfway no in the middle of the court. Embarrassing. Embarrassing. Jeremy. Embarrassing. I have some good news uh, for all the listeners out there. We've got our most recent review jam up. So check that out when you get a minute. Uh, Our review jam. uh, And if you want your own review jam, leave a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. And you will get your very own review jam by the one and only Mr. Derek Siebert. Me. So check that out. We just posted that this week. So I'm stoked. So Derek, we got some big news today, man. Why don't you, uh, you tell everybody what we got going on today? So I ran across this gentleman. We have a special guest on the show today. I ran across this gentleman on a little platform called Twitter. Very one special. of my favorite places. One of my favorite haunts. Okay. I, I think I might have come across what he was doing because I was following Dan North, mm-hmm. who I've we also it. interviewed on this podcast. Uh, and I was kind of checking out his work. The things he was saying were resonating with me. And I was like, man, I really want to talk to this guy about, you know, how he feels about the industry and a few other things. And. Uh, so we have Doc Morton on the show today. He's a software delivery professional working to make the world of software a better place. Well-rated international speaker. Speaks all the time. International, that's Jeremy. Impressive. That's all. It's, that's, that's multiple countries, Jeremy. He's a passionate about helping others become better developers, as are we. Seems like he shares a lot of our missions, Jeremy. Working in teams to improve delivery, build great organizations. On his role at OnBelay, Doc, uh, he realizes passion every day. You can learn more about his work at DocOnDev.com. Uh, and if you want to hear him speak or, you know, invite him over for lunch, I guess, or I guess that's how it works. Just contact him through his website. Um, he, we'll he may charge you a little more really about right. that later. So yeah. he, he very likely will. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> he Even does better. charge per bite, I've heard, uh, if you invite him for dinner, though. Um, yeah, so he takes small bites so he gets the, <laughs> gets the adequate payment. But anyway, Doc, welcome to the yeah, show. Yeah, welcome. It's really an honor to have you on. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Yeah, glad to be here. Uh, really appreciate Fantastic. the invite. Well, we appreciate you accepting, Doc. You bet. So yeah. <laughs> it goes both ways. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. It was cool because I, I originally, um, Jeremy, I don't know if you know this, but I reached out to him through Twitter because you can like DM through Twitter. And I was like, I've never done this before. And I was kind of like a little bit nervous about doing it this way because it felt a little bit, well, it felt a little bit intrusive, like like I was jumping the line or something. But I was like, well, you know, I just do it. Be, I was trying to be earnest with the request. And if he responds back and he digs it, let's do it. So it seemed like, you know, try, fail, you iterate, it really appreciate it. change That's it up. Cool. There you go. Taking an agile approach to software right, right, uh, right. podcast. <laughs> yeah, it was a bold move. Um, on a previous podcast, Doc, I, uh, I talked to, I went to the Adobe headquarters and I, I asked them, I walked into the front door and I was like, can I just see how you guys work? Like, see how you're, you're, you're structured? I've always been fascinated. I was like in my early 20s. Right. And they were like, no. Get out. Are you crazy? Like, uh, uh, what are you talking? This is, our, this is our secret sauce in there. Right. Yeah. And it was like two young girls. I was like, what, are you going to stop me? This big army gentleman like, yes, me, will we? We will. <laughs> um, so uh, I felt a tinge mm-hmm. like that, but a little bit less bold. So uh, anyway, thanks again. 
So I found you on Twitter, yeah. and I believe it was I believe it was through Dan North or through someone else. Yeah. Um, and your stuff started popping up. Uh, so I was wondering, like, what is the goal of you working on Twitter? Like, what are you out there to do on that platform? Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. So, so Twitter for me. So you you mentioned in the intro, right? My mission overall, right, is to make the world software a better place. And really, Twitter plays uh, a, a role in that for me. If I'm being honest, the majority of my Twitter activity is curated and scheduled. So I will, I'll sit down and draft up 10, 20, 50 tweets. Okay. I put them into a backlog. I have a drag and drop scheduler that automates stuff for me and then and off they go. And that's probably like 80% of my content, um, Smart. but it's very deliberate, right? 10% is like retweets and quote, you know, uh, quote tweets. And then like another 10% is the impromptu stuff and the impromptu stuff. I almost always end up regretting <laughs> <laughs> as most people do on Twitter. Yeah. So me smart. too. Yeah, I wish I, I hadn't sent that. Don't worry. Um, yeah. Right. <laughs> but it, you know, so a lot of the stuff that I, that I, that I put out there is, is uh, it's a bit of a mix. It's about, it's about software excellence. It's about uh, leadership. It's about organizations, I kind of have my foot in sort of two realms. So still very much in, in the tech realm, uh, software developers, right? Um, but yeah. spend a lot of my time really in more of the like organizational structures, leadership, that type of stuff. So my tweets kind of span that, which is part of what I think, you know, uh, is one, I know like Dan North, you mentioned him. It's, it's quite likely that, that if you follow Dan, you probably, you know, may have seen some of my stuff on occasion. I've right. known Dan for a number of years. I miss him. <laughs> I can't wait to get to a conference <laughs> where we'll, we'll, we'll be there together. For wow. a second, my heart dropped. I was like, what happened? Oh, no, today? No, no, no. <laughs> Don't you tell me anything. <laughs> Not today. <laughs> no. Not today. No, 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 uh, no, no. Anyway. I just meant I haven't seen him in person in yeah, a few right. years. Uh, but a lot of what he does is, uh, you know, really resonates with me, right? He's kind of the same thing. Yeah. Very strong, you know, technically um, and thinks a lot about like orgs and how work flows and, and leadership. So. Uh, it doesn't surprise me that that's, you know, the the path. That makes sense. You know, does that kind of mission that you have for how you use Twitter differ from any of your, like your longer form content, like blog posts, presentations, speaking events, anything like that? I mean, yes and no. So, so you know, it's all kind of around the same thing, right? Okay. It's, uh, anything that, I, that I'm doing is, is kind of around that same goal, that same end. But of course, the format's totally different. You know, but the but the general intention is the same. So like like I mean, Twitter is all sound bites, yeah. right? Um, it's just little tiny tidbits. Uh, my intention is that they're useful, that they're thought provoking. You know, but I can't really say a whole lot in a in a in a tweet. And so the readers got to infer stuff, uh, and that doesn't always work out super well. Um, mm -hmm. People, you know, read into tweets things that I had no idea could be read into them. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, whereas like blogs and talks, you know, they're they're longer form. And so it allows me to like, you know, create a story arc. It allows me to go more in depth on a concept. It allows me to actually create tiebacks to like really strengthen points, et cetera. So the style that I use is is very different, but in the, the overall mission is still around, you know, thinking about how do we get better at writing software products, at making software. Of all the things you do, which is the one that really 
lights your fire like the one if you could do it all day long you would do or does it have to be do you like your hands in a lot of different areas uh it's the latter i like i when i uh that's a really tough question right to actually pick one thing yeah. i like solving problems uh especially you know uh complicated or complex problems code what i love about code is um i love the fast feedback Right. I love that. Yeah. Like I can actually see the thing happening. Even when you're doing like a refactoring session where you're not actually changing behavior, you can still see what's happening inside of the code. You can see things reshaping and reforming and changing and that's happening really quick. And I love that. It doesn't tend to have the kind of impact that I want to have on the rest of the world. It's more like it feeds me, you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, and that, so I, I dig it, but it's not enough. So then when I'm doing like the coaching, that's different. The feedback loop is a lot longer. It's a lot more about creating space, having conversations, listening, influencing, uh, nudging, right? And when it works, when you can actually like see people finding more pride in their work, more joy in their work, like that's really rewarding, but it's, it just, it takes a lot more time. And then sometimes coaching is really just, uh, it's more draining than anything else because it's, it can be, it can be a really long, slow slog. Big organizations especially are like really resilient in the worst way. You can, you yes. can go in and you can help a team mm -hmm. get better. And through that, you can help a department get better. And yet somehow that organization has the ability to ultimately snap itself back into its original form and shape. And that can, that can be uh, hard. Yeah. It's a fun, it's an interesting way to put it. Like it, they they call it uh, at the companies I've worked for, they've called it like a, a cruise ship or uh, yeah, because they always pick something like they, they will never say your own dog food. I've heard people say we drink our own champagne or something like <laughs> something like that. But uh, it's a cruise ship, so it takes forever to move. You know, it's a, but it's it's it seems to be more like a a bunch of rubber bands tied together uh, where you you you're you're. you're a coach coming in and pulling on the rubber bands and saying, all right, guys, this is how a circle looks. And then it just goes back to a square, you know, because <laughs> they let go. So I guess kind of wrapping up that, that, that prior, right? Like what I, it, so I like having that variety of work. I like having okay. something that I can do that gives me that rapid feedback and I can see the change. And then something that I can do that, that hopefully is leading to like larger, more significant change, but maybe, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily feed me every day because I'm not seeing it right away. Makes total sense. You know, the, some of the things that we do on this podcast that I find joy in is when I hear someone say they, they some idea that we shared, they shared with someone else or they started, they, they like got themselves out of a funk or, or something like that. And to me, like those little steps, those little uh, lights that go off in people's heads or something like that really, really fuels me, honestly, to keep doing this, to keep really, it's, you know, I'm hanging out with Jeremy, meeting cool people like yourself, but uh, it's also those little moments. I'm sure you feel that sometimes too. Uh, I, I used to, uh, in the coaching thing, right? I, we, uh, uh, I sometimes still feel this way, but a, a, a friend of mine uh, and I, one of the phrases that we used to use is delivering despair through joy, because what, Kind of, it yeah. almost seemed like the way that our, what we were doing for a living was going into organizations, uh, meeting resistance, showing people uh, that things could be better, having things actually be better. So now they've actually like achieved a joy. Like they weren't unhappy before, right? Mm -hmm. They were fine. This is the way it is. 
then we showed them something and they actually started practicing it. And they were like, holy crap, this is so much better. Why don't we do this all the time? And then we leave and the organization snaps back. And now the thing that was perfectly acceptable is now terrible to them. And now they're <laughs> unhappy in a job that they were fine with before. <laughs> it's like backfired. Oh no. Oh no. Sure. Yeah. You've shown them the light yeah. and now they've seen the light. How do you go back? It's like it's like going to the the box seats at like a you know football game and then having right. to go sit with the the plebs afterwards you know right yeah yeah so yeah, I knew right. I was always sitting on popcorn now I was like popcorn was fine before yeah. I thought that was part of the <laughs> until seat. I knew somebody was getting free yeah. champagne and oh geez caviar. guys that's a perfect analogy um, <laughs> feet are stuck to this great seats. example yeah you have you heard just people like ah it was terrible I had to quit I had to leave. Or no, do they bring you back in and maybe you get, uh, you know, another so It depends, out. right? It depends on the organization. Like, you know, my, my experience um, in some cases, what happens is, uh, uh, you know, it's weird. Uh, it's like an org is, is paying yeah. us to help their best people leave. That's a weird feeling. Uh, right. <laughs> you know, uh, and that's, yeah. that's, yeah. that is weird. Um, in yeah. other cases, yeah. what happens, and so I actually have this experience right now where I've, I've been working with this same company on and off for the last several years. And it has been, you know, you can see the pattern, right? We come in, we do some stuff, and then it kind of snaps back. But what's happening is like the people that were on one of those core teams in the beginning have advanced their way through the organization. They're bringing us back in. You know, we try something else. It gets a little bit more success. They're advancing through the organization. They're bringing us back in. We're trying something else. We're getting more success. So it's, I guess, uh, if for for you know whatever their reasons are, they choose to stay in the organization and continue to try to affect change. It can actually, you know, it takes time. But but I'm certainly seeing that with at least this this particular client, and it is a very large it's client. So, um, you know, there's some optimism there for me. Yeah, that's such an interesting thing to witness, though, right? You go in and, and you, you do this stuff and then you leave and then it goes back to normal. And yeah. And, you know, it's it's like it doesn't I mean, I don't know if it ever goes back to normal, normal. Right. There's some uh, there's something that's been added to the ethos. There's something that is now kind of in the environment um, mm. that is different. Uh, I um, got a group that I kept asking them the question, OK, but what's the problem you're trying to solve? And I was really just trying to get them to hone in on, you know, like focus here, right? What, what are we trying to accomplish? And a lot of uh, what we were able to, to change um, kind of went back a little bit after, you know, uh, we left the department. Um, but it's years later now. And that's still a core thing you hear in that group. It's like, oh, wait, hang on. What's the problem we're trying to solve? And so they've actually been able to improve the way they work in their own way just through like adopting that that one thing. You know? So it, it, ever, it doesn't, doesn't typically go back to entirely normal, whatever normal is. Yeah, you know, it's been difficult for me. I've been in situations where I've been asked to change, change a culture, change a, you know, you go in like something about this culture is just bad. Right. You've been, been told that before that you go in and you realize that it's it's a lot of different things all happening at once. And you're like, wait a minute, hold on, you know, and you got to kind of get your bearings. What I've noticed, though, is that the culture piece is what's there when all the process and all the tools and everything fails. Yep. And the culture is what's left behind. And when you feel unsafe talking saying what's true, saying the truth or asking questions like you were saying, 
Like, I think you've unlocked people by give, giving them the opportunity or feel, making them feel courageous enough to ask, what are we doing here? Why are we, what are we, what is the problem we're trying to solve? I just think that's great. Have you dealt with situations like that where you went in and culture was the big problem, but it was kind of hard to kind of explain that to the people you were coaching? Yeah. Who's, is it, uh, uh, I think it was, I think it was Jerry Weinberg and I'm totally paraphrasing, uh, but basically he said, um, it's all, it's, it's always a people problem. Mm, yeah. Right. Whatever, whatever, whatever you're witnessing, it's, it's always a people problem. And, 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 you know, you're right, right. The process uh, to a great extent doesn't matter. In fact, uh, if, if you're going to be dogmatic and try and adhere to a specific process, it's probably going to fail. Um, every, everything that we know, right. Uh, I don't care if it's lean. I don't care if it's, you know, agile, be that scrum XP crystal, you know, whatever, right. All of those things, they're basically distillations of a culture that this group of people, be it eight or 800, uh, operated together and figured some shit out. And they said, for us, we do this thing. And like, you know, we have uh, these things that we call objectives and they fit into our culture in this way. And we like to have key results and those tie to those objectives. Um, and then we, as a, as a society, as, as industry, have a tendency to look at it and go, Okay, so they do this thing. It's called objectives and key results. Let me pluck that out of their culture and go over here and plug it in and then wonder why it doesn't work the way that it's supposed to, right? Yeah. How come so many people have done the Spotify model and it hasn't worked for them? Well, it's because the, the, the process, those constructs aren't nearly as important as the actual culture that's there. And yeah, it's a lot of what I try to work on. I don't think you can directly shape a culture you know, part of what you were talking about is psychological safety, right? Psychological safety is when members of a team, an organization, group, whatever, right? They feel uh, like they're able to take risk in their interpersonal communications. So I can show vulnerability. I can actually express that I don't know, that I am confused, that I have concerns, that I have a different perspective. Uh, and I can know that that will be heard, received, and I won't be shamed or punished or anything else, right? And and, and um, a lot of organizations really lack that. And without it, people hold back. They don't communicate as clearly. When they're not communicating as clearly, not being as open, not being as honest, things don't get raised to the surface. We don't learn. It's harder for us to experiment. Um, and all of these things are essential to software development these days. You know, we're not building... APAR systems, right? We're not building, uh, um, sorry, accounts payable, accounts receivable, right? We're not making accounting packages anymore. No one does that. that that's been done. We're not making a docketing system for a law firm or a filing system, right? All of those kind of very simple proceduralized known things. We're inventing shit all of the time. Uh, and that requires high collaboration, high trust, high experimentation. You've got to have that those elements in the environment to really get to where you want to go. So a lot of what I do in orgs these days is try to figure out ways to foster that type of stuff, working with managers, creating certain structures in the organization. One of the things like I, I, I tell, like I do a lot of mentoring and stuff for, for UX designers at least. And one thing that I tell them often is that like, uh, I think the most important part of building software is realizing that like it's a team effort and it's a team sport and you can't 
nobody can do any of this on their own. Nobody can be the designer, the front end developer, back end developer, the QA, the product manager, the, the, you know, the stakeholder and everything. There's always working with other people um, and building those relationships and understanding how to work with people and respect other people. And like from the UX side, I always tell people as UX designers, we, we work to get, build empathy for our users, but what about empathy for our team? What about understanding where our team is coming from and, and working with them and compromising yep. with them and things like that? And I, I just think that's, you're absolutely right. It's like, so critical. Like we're not, nobody can, you know, know, the idea of like the rock star developer is so ridiculous. Like even a rock star developer can't do it on their own, (laughs) you know? So I I don't know. I I find that fascinating. A lot of people don't realize like, I got to be really good developer. It's like, you got to be a really good person and an okay developer. You'll probably get more done. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would, I would certainly take a team of, uh, of individuals who have you know, who have psychological safety amongst themselves, who, 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 uh, you know, can operate well, um, as a, as a cohesive team and maybe aren't all that great at their craft, uh, cause craft can be learned much, much more easily than, yeah, you know, uh, exactly. than trust and, and true interaction, uh, necessarily can be. Well, um, well so, so a lot of that stuff comes from their upbringing too. Like you bring all that to your job. You yeah. could have, uh, you know, things you need to go to therapy for personally that, you know, like <laughs> could make it difficult for you to operate well with other people. And uh, it's just, we're, I think as a culture, like broader culture, we're kind of just getting to the point where we're admitting that to ourselves. The pandemic helped with that a little bit. And yeah. I've, you know, I kind of worry that if the pandemic does wane, that we'll, we'll do the same thing organizations do in rubber band back to, well, whatever, just push through or, you know, what do you why are you asking me all these questions you know (laughs) the same kind of thing yeah yeah who is it uh virginia satir says no one survives a family of origin unharmed um (laughs) yeah again i think i'm I'm paraphrasing but but (laughs) but fundamentally the idea behind satir's work is that like we all have baggage from you know our youth that that plays straight into Mm -hmm. our behaviors as adults um whether we recognize it or not you mentioned a word then when i hear it I get a little sick in my stomach oh. and then I get a little, I get that like tingly feeling in my, you know, when you learn something, you get a little tingly feeling in your head. Sure. The word's agile. Ah. All right. I've studied it. I've talked to people who were there Yeah. at the signing of the Agile Manifesto. I've, I've just, I've, I've been consulted on a lot of different things and I've just, I've just been, I've loved learning how software gets built, the origins of it. What I wanted to know. And you may you may have a better uh, insight on this, having coached on it and having trained people before agile. There were people doing this work. I think I read a blog post of yours where you kind of alluded to, you know, there were people doing what the agile practitioners were doing. There's a reason they all got together. Right. How long had that been going on? You know, before like the early 2000s. Oh, yeah, dude. So so uh, early 2000s, just an interesting thing, right? Like these people were all at a conference together and decided that they were going to do a little uh, birds of a feather meeting um, in a ski lodge and had a conversation and it turned into this thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, but if you look at each of those contributors and I'm not going to name them all, but, you know, you know, uh, uh, so Bob Martin coming very much from kind of an OO standpoint and a, a little bit academic in some of the stuff that he was doing and studying, yeah. but, you know, really had some 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 really good insights. And then you had, you know, folks like, uh, um, 
you know, Ward Cunningham and Kent Beck, who had been spending a lot of time, although many of them had in uh, in the small talk space. And small talk was uh, a language that had some real strength to it, but also had some real danger. You know, you kind of like run around with sharp scissors. And so uh, they were looking at like, how can we make this more safe? And that's that's where test first kind of came from was out of that. That stuff had been going on for years. And if you go back and you look at like uh, anything from Newth predates Agile, there's a lot of stuff in there. The patterns community has. Uh, oh, Donald Newth, you mean? Yeah. Yep. Oh, I love his work. You know, the patterns community predated uh, any of the the agile stuff yeah i mean there's there was it was basically all of these various kind of like foundational ideas that people were playing with experimenting with and i think in a way we got really lucky that they all kind of came together and said hey we're all sort of doing stuff like this yeah. what's you know what's common amongst us and what's you know different and and how do we kind of share these ideas with people and the principles and values i think were super helpful you know, I personally would have preferred that maybe XP or Crystal uh, became more popular than Scrum, um, but is what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, when I was talking to uh, a few people who were either uh, either knew of the arrangement of that famous ski lodge, which where even though Bob Martin denies it, a lot of that work happened in a hot tub. We we are guaranteeing it. Um, we think we think they all just a bunch of white dudes we, in a hot tub talking about software. Yeah, yeah. That's my that's kind of how I, how I envision the whole thing. We, we asked Bob Martin. He came on the show. We asked him if it was if any of the Agile Manifesto was created in a hot tub, and he says no. Yeah. But I I have my doubts. So the, and the one thing one thing we asked him was like why wasn't it more diverse? You know that's something that a lot of people talk about. Why wasn't that you know event more? There was just a bunch of white guys. He was like he was like well, we sent out invites to a lot of people. They just didn't show up. And I was like okay. <laughs> I'll accept it, you know. But yeah, it's kind of an interesting piece of the puzzle. Yeah, I think it. I think it. Unfortunately, I think it reflected the industry at that time. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, actually, so that's that's a great point, right? So some of this stuff, like if you if you if you if you look and you go back just a little bit, and I'm trying to think of what uh, the all right. So Alistair Coburn is is among many things. Um, one of the things that he's kind of known for is the hexagonal uh, architecture pattern. And I won't get into into details on that. Mm -hmm. That is actually uh, based very heavily on uh, white papers written by Rebecca Wilf Brox. So like I, you know, some of this stuff we can very pretty easily trace it back to there were very influential women in the community that were doing uh, that were doing this stuff. And, you know, uh, for any number of reasons, they did not end up at that particular meeting. Um, yeah. doesn't mean that they weren't actually, you know, really contributing to uh, to our, our overall way of working. Like the spirit of their yeah. work was there. Yeah. You know, now that I'm older and wiser, I could easily see a bunch of women not wanting to go hang out especially with a bunch in a of hot ski lodge. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> especially most yeah, of the work is done in a hot tub. Or, you know, like, uh, I, just, I, I could easily see a scenario where like, they might have husbands or whatever. And they're I'm like, no, we're not going yeah. to a bunch of men in a ski lodge, you know. So, you know, I don't know. Not uh, I could easily see where they would feel uncomfortable. <laughs> Which I think is all, if you, if you actually think about this idea of psychological safety, there probably wasn't much of that 20-something years ago, right? Um, this idea that probably a lot of men were intimidating for some women in a male-dominated field. Still are, probably still are, didn't want to be put in an awkward position. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, well, exactly, right. Yeah, so now, you know, thinking back on it, looking back on analyzing it, it it's sort of unfortunate, to your point, Doc, that, you know, there weren't any women there, but I could easily see how yeah. they yeah. wouldn't want to. <laughs> I probably wouldn't. You know, on that 
on that topic of Agile, you mentioned that you kind of wish that XP or Crystal had gotten some more traction, more software development focused, more tech excellence focused. How far off the track are we in Agile being a thing that can be beneficial in its in its current use of it, the word around the industry? How far off track do you think we are? No, I don't know. I don't know if we're all if we're all that that off track anymore. I, and maybe we never were. So interestingly enough, like like over the years, at this point, most of your I don't know if it's most at this point, a lot of your Scrum trainers are going to uh, not just talk about the Scrum framework, but they're going to talk about BDD, TDD, refactoring. Right? They're going to start. They're going to pull in these practices as they're talking about it. If you look at, uh, and I'm not, a, I'm not a fan of it in particular, but if you look at safe, it has, you know, of course, uh, I think safe's basically pulling in all of the IP they possibly can and repurposing it and then presenting it uh, as part of their framework, but all that right. stuff's in there. Um, yeah, so I do think there's more attention to the actual practice of writing the code uh, in the agile space then then there was maybe as it was really accelerating you know there was a period there where i would go into organizations they'd like bring us the agile great and then they would and all they wanted was stand ups burn downs and backlogs like what but yeah. but aren't you actually making software yeah. shouldn't we talk about that too and yeah they wanted what they wanted was the 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 suitcase with the yes. with the glowing thing, you know, from Pulp Fiction. That's what they wanted. They were like, oh, yeah, you yeah. open it up, and it's like everybody's like, there yeah. it is. It's the agile. Yeah. We've found it. Yeah, it's it's funny. It's it's almost like getting to the answer to your question as fast as possible. I think that's a lot of times like what you were saying before. Like you're asking a question when you go solve a problem, and how do I get to that? And then and then there are all these practices, but it, then it's the thing. Once you get the answer, a lot of times you're gonna have to alter it. Yeah. And if it takes a long time for you to alter it because you're co you didn't spend any time on uh, the work of the craft of building your your code, then that's going to take forever. So it's like uh, it's, it's, it's kind of always boiled down to that for me. And, and a lot of times we start with a vague or unclear question and we end up with a piece of software that nobody can really use or, you know, it's like, it's kind of weird. It's like, why did we spend how did, how did all these smart people spend this long on this? Unuseless, useless piece of crap. Yeah, it's kind of funny to me. But anyway, but that's why they—that's why they pay so much. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I, I told somebody that one time. I was like, "Come on, guys! If it was easier, they wouldn't pay us so much." Right. right. Um, and it was like, <laughs> "You don't pay me so much." Nah, I, I got to talk to someone about that after this call. Actually, <laughs> so we had a good talk about agile, and that was—I um, hope it was cathartic for our listeners. And thank you so much. Fantastic insights, Doc. The one last thing I want to talk about uh, briefly. It's this crazy thing. I don't know why I would talk about this briefly, but I have this sense that perf like striving for, for, for perfection isn't the answer because you may not, you're, you're going to solve a problem and you're going to have to correct course. So if you strive for perfection first, then you may not be able to, you may be spending too long, the, 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 the whatever the problem may actually pass you by, right. you know, where are areas while you're doing the work where you should focus on perfection? Um, are there any, is it kind of a general rule that it should always be good enough or how do you feel about that? That's a great question. Um, I don't think that perfection is a smart goal to have. I do think good enough. Um, I, there's, there's, wow, this is a really deep question if you want it to be. 
<laughs> I know, I know. I was like, I was we like, saved I was it like, for the last ten minutes. Last second. Yeah. <laughs> so give me the kitty. Give me the kitty pool answer. Right. Pool okay. Answer. So we have we have this notion of best practices, right? Yeah. It's bullshit. Best best for who? Yeah. Best for whom? Right. <laughs> yeah. So so I don't know if you're familiar with with Kinevin, and I don't want to get into the into the whole thing. Have you heard of Kinevin? Do you know what I'm talking about here? All right. No. So C Y N E F I N Kinevin spelled like it sounds. Okay. It's a Welsh word. Anyway, <laughs> it's a sense-making framework um, from, from Dave Snowden uh, and Marianne Boyle. Uh, and in that, uh, we can look at, we look at work and the ways that we interact. And we can say, look, there's stuff that's, that's there's obvious work. This is like um, being a cashier. It doesn't mean that folks that do, that do cashiers uh, work are not not intelligent, we, but it doesn't require a lot cashiers of decision making, right? Mm -hmm. It's basically like you look at the thing, mm -hmm. You recognize it. You know there's a pattern for it. It's a box of cereal. I scan it. It's mm -hmm. produce. I weigh it. Right? Like I just I have this. It's repeatable. Right? Yeah. Variability's low. Yeah. Yes. There, that type of work, moving ore from one end of a pier to another, checking stuff out of the grocery store, best yeah. practices. There is a quantifiable known best way to do that thing. Any other work. Mm -hmm. A mechanic, you've got to be able to do uh, analysis before you know what the problem is, and then you can go into into the realm of best practices, right? Or software development, as it is today, where you're experimenting, you have no idea what you're actually going to do. You don't know what you're going to build until you've built it, right? No such thing as best practices. If there's no such thing as best, there's no possibility for perfection. There are only leading practices, and there are only practices that, that are uh, contextually applicable. Try a thing. Does it work for you? Great. Keep doing that until it mm -hmm. stops working for you because your context is going to change. So it's it's it isn't it can't be about perfection. It can it can only be about um, are we improving? Is the thing that we're doing working for us as well as we think that it can? And always recognizing that whatever that is, six months from now might not work for you. And you're going to need to change it. That was the best kiddie pool answer I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, it wasn't really kiddie so pool, much. was it? <laughs> it was, well, it's not, look, you know what it was? My kid sometimes <laughs> goes in the pool, not the kiddie pool, but it's like just for kids. Yeah. If you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. it's like at the same place as the other pool. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. I, I love that too. Cause like to me, this is again, I mean, I, you know, I know you're a developer doc, but like to me, this applies to any part of the software process. I mean, it's UX, it's product management, it's all of it, right? I mean, UX designers can sit there and focus and get it pixel perfect and make sure everything is exactly where it needs to be and it follows the grid and blah, blah, blah. But like, it's just, you get it out there, man, get it done, you know? Or uh, often I think a lot of UX teams get a bad rap often because they've got to do more research and find out, talk to more people and it's, we got to make sure it's the right thing and blah, blah, blah. It's like, deliver it and it, someone will complain right. about it if it doesn't work and you can yeah. change it. You know, and I think UX teams do this a lot, just a perfection and so much research. We got to get the personas and we got to do all this stuff. It's like, yes, those are great. But at some point, stop. <laughs> at some point, do some actual stuff yep. and get the thing yep. built and deliver it. And I think this applies across the board. So I, I think that's great advice. Yeah. So I had wanted to to ask you, Doc, for any any things that, you know, you were itching to talk about. But if, uh, you know, but we also have a very important segment we have to get to, Doc. A very important thing we have to get to. Is there anything burning on your mind that you're like, I gotta share it? Anything that really grinds your gears? You gotta, you gotta just let it out. All right, that's interesting. So the thing, something that uh, uh, that grinds my gears about the industry these days. Oh, what's the word? 
Sesquipedialism. That's what I was going to say. That's so funny. Sesquipedialism. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it, is, it means the use of unnecessarily long or complicated words. Um, yeah. uh, <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, the irony. Um, I like well, uh, you know, we should all issue obfuscation, right? Um, so it, it is this, it is this, this thing that I'm seeing more and more of in the industry where, uh, I'm having conversations with developers and I don't know what they're saying. Yeah, I do. Oh my God. And it's, and it's not that the world has gotten that much more complicated. It's not that software is that much more sophisticated. The fundamentals are still the fundamentals, but it's just this, like, like suddenly we have to say orthogonal instead of different. Yeah, right. I, I don't know. I don't know what is uh, what's driving this, but it's actually like creating a wedge between developers and mm. anyone else they have to interact with. Uh, it's a like a like this false yeah. intellectualism or something. Um, Interesting. You know, can we just yeah. actually say the, say the word? Just just something something much more yeah. basic, Simpler. right? Yeah. Um, so that that drives me nuts. Um, and then just in, in the kind of the extension of that is just oh, unnecessary complication. I kind of f- put all that under the the um, the category of bullshit. There's too much bullshit. <laughs> I was in a, I was in a large meeting with people. I actually bullshit. it was fantastic because I got to see him in person. I just I just love this meeting. But I was in this meeting and I was like, most of the things you guys are saying could be said with simpler words. Right. And if you said them with simpler words, we'd probably be building simpler things. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so, yeah, I guess I, that, that's I had a very similar feeling recently. That's funny. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So uh, we're going to ask you just a series of this or that questions. We'll set a timer for about two minutes. And just the first thing okay. that comes to your head, Doc, you don't have to spend too much time. Uh, you know, first thing comes to your head. There's only one question where Derek and I will judge you. And hopefully you get it right. I have, faith. We'll say, I have okay? faith in Doc. <laughs> yeah, You're right. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll start off a little simple. Then we'll get a little bit. Uh, we'll get a little bit more complex. All right. Dogs or cats? Oh, uh, Dogs. All right. Pens or pencils? Pencils. Netflix or YouTube? Netflix. Regular M&Ms or peanut M&Ms? Peanut. All right. My man. Uh, running or biking? Running. All right. Legend of Zelda or Mario Brothers? I'm going to have to go with Mario Brothers. Okay. All right. I like that. Uh, Twitter or TikTok? <laughs> Twitter. <laughs> all right. When you're presenting, big crowds or small crowds? Uh, depends on what I'm presenting. Uh, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be intellectually honest. Big crowds. All right, it makes you feel all well. yeah, yeah. the shirt off for me. I don't blame you. All right, uh, deep exhausting arguments with people who don't share your views, or energetic conversations with like-minded people. Uh, it's probably like-minded. Yeah, it makes it easier. Yeah, unless they're talking about Trump. Uh, like, <laughs> uh, if they're like, you know, Trump, I'm like, get out of here. I can't do it. I like, I like the deep exhaust. But unless, unless they're Trumpsters, then I'm like, get out. I don't have any time for you. All right. Uh, I hope you didn't vote for Trump. Sorry. <laughs> uh, all right. Good. Uh, it seems like Guilty. okay. Uh, David Lynch's Dune from '84 or Dune from '21. I've only seen the 84 so far. Perfect, so no, perfect answer. The That's the one. That's a perfect answer. <laughs> all right. Uh, Real Yoda or Baby Yoda? Real Yoda. All right. About in a thousand. Love or money? Love. All Perfect. Right. Yeah. Like, Perfect. You, the, you did the right amount of uh, break. Everybody waits a few seconds <laughs> Most, and says, says a lot day. of people wait. Like, <laughs> we just, um, we love that love, little, that little delay. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's our favorite part. Love. You just asked me. All right. Me? Now this one, uh, very important. Please don't get this one wrong. Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Trek. All right. Derek. I knew I liked Doc. All right. 
Uh, so, uh, you know, as you, as you know, your name is Doc. You, and so we've got a series of questions, Doc questions. Okay. Are you ready? I, did, I didn't have right. any part in this, Doc. Go ahead, Jeremy. <laughs> All, right. All right. Dr. Oz or Dr. Drew? Wait, Dr. Oz or who? <laughs> Dr. Drew. Dr. Drew. Like, you remember from, like, like the 90s with, like, Adam Carolla? And they Adam do, like, Carolla, they talk yeah, about, did, like, uh... sex talk stuff. <laughs> it was very strange. And I don't know if you remember that from like MTV. No, okay. All right. you don't, anyway. dude. <laughs> it was bizarre. Thinking back, like it was a very strange show. Go ahead. All right. Since you were a Star Trek, a Star Trek fan, you're gonna you you probably have a good opinion. But there's Doctor McCoy or Doctor Crusher. Great question, man. McCoy. All right. Uh, I almost did Doctor McCoy or the Doctor from Voyager, but uh, I just you know just in case, in case you didn't know Star Trek, I, I didn't oh, want to throw any Voyager stuff right, at you because right. you never know. All right, uh, all right. Here we go. Uh, Doogie Howser, MD, or Doctor House. Oh, House. Yeah. All right. Uh, Doctor Quinn, Medicine Woman, or Doctor Joel Fleischman from Northern Where Exposure. Where Oh, uh, I'm going to say the Fleischman. <laughs> All right. Uh, I like Northern, so that's a fun show. All right. Dr. Jack Shepard from Lost or Dr. Derek Shepard from Grey's Anatomy? Oh, interesting. Oh, I'm going to go with Lost. Yeah, dude. Got to go Lost. Go. All right, my man. All right. I, I, I love Lost. But it's like the I, I, the ending, though, made me just rethink the last like six years of my life, though. <laughs> right. I was like, why did I just waste six years? Anyway. All right. <laughs> All right. Dr. Marie Curie or Dr. Elizabeth Blackwell? Who was the first woman to get a medical degree, by the way? <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to go with Curie. Dr. Curie. I think yeah. Yeah, was, uh, she'd probably have a was a long tail to her. Uh, All right. Well, that's so. it. <laughs> I had other questions like Doc. I don't know if you had kids, but Doc McStuffins was something I was trying to <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that's if you had kids. Grandkids. Oh, oh, man. You really have grandkids? No, he doesn't. Do. You do oh, not. Wow. You don't look, uh, you don't four, look like a four four grandkids. Grandkids. You don't look like a grandpa. Yeah. Well, you look 28. You, you look like a young girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got that filter on. Filter. He's got that filter right, well, on. If we, yeah, ever, yeah. if we ever get you back on, uh, I'll ask you about Doc McStuffins. All right. Um, all right. Good. So that's it. That's all I've got, Derek. Uh, so, uh, Doc, before we get you out of here, anything you want to promote? Anything you want to give a shout out for? Yeah, you know what? I guess um, so. Agile twenty twenty two is coming up. Uh, I'm uh, a part of the committee that's helping to put that together. I'm running the salon this year. I think it's going to be great. It's, we're Sweet. back in person. Um, I guess I would be remiss to not mention my book, um, yeah. Escape Velocity: Better Metrics for Agile Teams. Um, no, that's Sweet. it. I really, I cool. really appreciate. It. This is fun. I, this is this is yeah. a good time. Awesome. awesome. So well, we are super stoked to have had you on. Thank you so much for, for coming on. Yeah. Uh, it has been a blast. I know I've learned quite a bit. Uh, so check us out on RetroTimePodcast.com. Get yourself some stickers, RetroTimePodcast.com slash stickers. And Doc, if you want to send us your address offline, don't do it on live in the air. Uh, <laughs> not live, taped. Right. Uh, send it, we'll send you some stickers. And you can put them all over your laptops live. and... Give them to your grandkids and all that stuff. Uh, <laughs> RetroTimePodcast.com slash reviews. Check out those five-star review jams. Derek will write you a song if you leave us a five-star review. Jeremy, and, uh, Jeremy, we mean was it. the last one a banger? Yes. Oh, it was good. It was real good. Uh, we got the backlog. We got, uh, let's see, I think we got Pam, we got Danielle. You're uh, we, on our list. You're on our backlog. We're getting there, slowly but surely. So that's everything I got. Uh, thanks for coming out, uh, Doc. It was great to have you. Until next time, y'all, that's it for me. Take it easy. Yeah, so this is a big spoiler, Jeremy. I wasn't going to share this with you until I was confirmed with Catherine, but my wife and I are starting a band. All right, our goal is to play shows. We're already writing oh, songs. We're having a great time with it. <laughs> um, name, Casualties of Youth.
Love that name. Oh, that's a great name. Love that yeah. name. Anyway, that's so a good name. Yeah. Uh, kick it, kick it, uh, kick it back to her. I think that's going to be the name. Um, she was trying some Beatles stuff. I was like, I don't know, two on the nose. Casualties of Youth is really good. <laughs> anyway, going back to uh, going back to uh, software and culture. Yeah. Um,